Mr. Waller, I've offered this man a lot of money to do this, okay? Because it's worth it to me. However, I don't care if I end up penniless. I don't care if I have to spend my life savings. I will see to it that you end up in the hospital for one week, Mr. Waller. Do you understand me? <laughs> I need me a Japanese. Ah! <laughs> I love it! I love it! I'm gonna be people from everywhere! I need me a Japanese! I don't have to defend the title of I'm here, and I'm going to be here until I feel like I want to leave. And if you don't like me being here, train to be a professional wrestler, get in this ring, and I'll beat you like I own you. Hello there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling. I'm your host, Sam. Uh, joining me this week is going to be the one and only Dylan Hales. Dylan, how are you? I'm good. I'm sitting in my brother Dustin's uh, living room while he plays... A video game that is not Bubsy, unfortunately, um, and uh, about to talk some wrestling with you, some 2017 wrestling with you, and then tomorrow I have to get up early to go travel to Nova Pro uh, in the D.C. area where I will get to call some wrestling matches, which should be fun. So, uh, And really, other than that, really nothing has happened in the world of wrestling at all today. <laughs> no, it's really an uneventful... No one's getting sued sort of day. Yeah, very quiet. It's it's very really excited to talk about some evolved talent tonight on the broadcast. Um, um that were being overlooked um <laughs> for various reasons. Uh so uh did a couple, a couple episodes back, me, Tanner, Quem Moody, we did an episode on a whole bunch of mostly uh, independent uh, as well as some Japanese talent. Um, but I think this episode we're going to kind of go back over that same ground, but with a little bit more focus um, on certain individuals that we didn't get a whole lot, but a whole lot of time to talk about um, on that episode. I know Freddie Ahai was kind of at the top of that list, and recently you said it on Twitter, like, He's up for best worker of 2017 for you um, when he was talking about needing dates. Why Fred Yehai needs um, to fill dates and why aren't people booking him? I don't know. That seems outrageous. Um, well, it is, it is pretty interesting that Matt Riddle and Fred Yehai both tweeted out that they needed a date for September 30th and October 1st. Like, you know, a little like basically two weeks ahead of that weekend, which is really weird for wrestlers of that caliber. It's almost like there's a company they work for that has issues or something. I don't know. Because that's, that's really, really strange with wrestlers of that caliber. But anyway. Uh. <laughs> um, so, so what has Yehai done this year that makes him kind of stand out? I know he's always been sort of an unorthodox stylist, but um, last year he had a great year. I have not been able to keep up with much of his 2017 work, I will say. Um, so kind of, is there any way you can give me a little refresher on what Yehai is doing this year um, that makes him that top candidate? Yeah, I mean, to me, if I was forced to choose a number one right now, and I'm by no means prepared to choose a number one, but if I was forced to choose a number one right now, he would probably be my top wrestler so far for this year. Um, a big part of it is that sort of unique like style that he brings to wrestling where he, he's this weird case of a guy who makes very simple and actually really logical stuff. He makes them, he makes stuff like that high spots. <laughs> like for Yehai, like 
smashing somebody's foot with his hand is a high spot when it's really just like a completely logical thing that somebody should do and it makes no sense and you, you watch it and you think yeah why doesn't other why don't other people do this why don't guys do that <laughs> why wouldn't you try to escape from a hold that way um and part of it is that is that like he he manages to be simultaneously innovative and logical which i think is something that is extremely rare in wrestling um i i actually don't even know who else would fit into that category i'm sure i could find somebody if i really thought about it but there's not very many people like that but the other thing is i think just in terms of putting out good matches this year i don't I don't know that there's anybody who's more consistent than him. I mean, he doesn't ever have bad matches, ever, that I can see. And I think he has a sneaky good resume of high-end matches. Yehai has sort of always suffered for the fact that a lot of his stuff happens either... Either it happens on shows that maybe don't have as high a visibility as other shows, or it will happen... This happened a lot last year... Um, and I think it's happened some this year too, where he'll have a great match on an Evolve show, and then like the next match will be like the main event. So that's all everybody remembers, right? Like they don't remember what happened before. Or he'll have a great match on a show that's part of one of those Evolve double headers, where by the time the last Evolve match happens, everybody's so fucking tired that they don't even want to watch the show, and there's no response to anything, like because people have been sitting there for six hours in the venue. Um, and you know, I mean. But just just off the top of my head, I really liked the Matt Riddle match from WrestleMania weekend. I actually thought it was one of the most logical matches of the entire year. I thought the psychology of it was great. I thought he was tremendous in the six-way elimination final for the WWN title, which I think was the next day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, like, I thought he was excellent in that match. In some ways, I thought he was the best guy in that match, even though the match was sort of built in a way where the story was Riddle. I think Yehai's performance might have been the best single performance in the match. Um, he's got a match with Jonathan Gresham from Nova Pro, which is probably the best Nova Pro match ever. I mean, it, it's it's either it's I would say it's either one or two on my list Nova Pro matches, and Nova Pro is a promotion that is one of my favorite promotions in the United States. So, um, I'm I'm obviously really high on that. Uh, I think he's had I think his matches with Kyle O'Reilly and. Zack Sabre Jr. from Evolve were both like match of the year level matches, but again, they happened in front of crowds that weren't terribly. I mean, the crowd was dire for the Zack Sabre Jr. match. Um, and I think, honestly, I thought that was Sabre's best match of the year by a pretty wide margin. Um, you know, I know other people are super high on Zack. And like, I think Zack's had a good year. I just don't really. I don't have a visceral connection to anything he does. So it's like he's one of these guys who's a good wrestler and has a lot of matches I like, but I don't really care much about any of them at the end of the day. Um, but I really love that match. Uh, the Kyle O'Reilly match from New York uh, with Brad, I thought, was also a, like a, a blow-away great match. He has that cage match from FIP, which is Fred in a completely different role than normal working as a sort of underdog and like building to the Koji clutch. Because I think one of the things too, is like the Koji clutch has been such a smartly protected finisher that I think it's also sort of enhanced his year for me because they've done a good job of making it so that when he does get that hold on somebody, it's seen as, Oh, this is going to be it. Like this is, this is going to finish him, you know, like, I mean, he's beaten, you know, he, he beat Thatcher in a tag team match over San Antonio, uh, of the Royal Rumble weekend in San Antonio with it. He's beaten Riddle with it. So, like, 
he's beaten guys with that hold. So he has a hold that people look at and go, oh, this is – if he gets this, the other person is in trouble. And I think that really has enhanced his matches. But, um, you know, I thought his match with ACH and, and uh, Royal Rumble weekend was a really good underrated match. Um, I just think if you went back and looked at the Evolve – I thought the Walter match was great. Um, if you go back and look at the Evolve run and what he's done across all that, I think he's been the most – I mean, Gabe Sapolsky himself has called him the MVP of WWN Live this year um, in, in terms of you know what he's done for all those different brands. I mean, the style battle match with Anthony Henry at the beginning of the year where they were wrestling outside in like 45-degree weather for 30 minutes, you know, like – and. I think that's I think that's true. I think Yehai has been like the the thing that's held everything together across the various brands and probably the most consistently exciting guy to watch. Like no matter who he's up against, I want to see the match. And um, that's something that the older I get, that becomes increasingly meaningful to me as a fan is like who like there's these guys where every match they're in is a potential dream match on some level just because of their style or how good they are or like something unorthodox about what they do or whatever. And I think Yehi is, is one of the few guys that's like that. Like you could book Fred Yehi versus just about anybody and I would be excited for it. Like if it was a first time match, I'd be like, Oh, I want to see that. Even if it was against a wrestler, I don't even necessarily like, I'd probably be excited for it. And there's not very many wrestlers like that out there. So, um, I think both, I mean, I, I think probably the biggest knock on Yehi would be that, oh, well, he doesn't have that one, you know, blow away, like, you know, super top-in match. I, but I just don't think that's true. But, I, I, but I, again, I'm probably higher on, uh, you know, certain evolved matches than other people are. And I've seen the Gresham match, which I think a lot of people probably haven't. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, to me, he is—he's like the one guy that you guys didn't cover. Where I thought, ah, come on, like, because he's just been so consistently good, and he's also a guy where I don't ever see anybody say really bad things about Yehi. Like, people who don't agree on anything seem to at least all agree that he's really good. Uh, and that's another thing with contemporary wrestling is I don't think there's very many guys that are sort of universally thought of as good anymore <laughs> like there tend to be dissenters on almost everyone uh and i feel like gay is one of the few guys where there's everybody sort of agrees oh yeah he's real good um and just just having an idea of some things that are going to be coming up for him before the end of the year i'm pretty sure that he's going to close the year really strong and have some other really interesting things come down the pike so um I expect that he will be a very, very strong contender uh, for my number one uh, when the ballots are due. So that pretty much gives a good rundown of Yehi. Um I don't think there's – I have nothing against Yehi. I don't think the reason why we didn't talk about him was any part due to his skill or his uh, production this year. I think the biggest issue is going to be – uh, where he's been wrestling, um, evolve and the whole WWE system seemed like a good, kind of a good place to kind of hop on here. But the um, game changer platform Flow Slam hasn't exactly panned out for a lot of folks, and um, that's going to create kind of a wall for people that want to check out Yehi 
you're going to need to get this service um, or plop down uh, 15 bucks or whatever to grab the Nova Pro shows. Um, it's going to be a little bit harder um, to kind of seek out stuff with if you don't do that, um, unless you're kind of a, like, just a dirty, dirty person and are going to hit up people for uh, the XWT downloads, which I, I mean, that's a, that's a route to go. Go for it if you want to. Well, well, I, I hear I hear what you're saying, but how weird is it to think that Evolve is a show that people aren't watching, right? Like, Style Battle and FIP is one thing, but it's just weird to think that Evolve is a show that people aren't watching, and they're wa- and they're watching other stuff. Like, in lieu of Evolve, I mean, I guess my question would kind of be, in lieu of Evolve, what are people watching, right? Like, where where is the juice? Where I mean, obviously for a certain segment of people, it's New Japan. That's cl- clear. I mean, that isn't me. I don't. I basically don't even watch New Japan at this point. It's it's not even because I think it's bad. It's just. I have more enjoyment from watching indie wrestling and it's gotten to the point with me where, with new Japan where every single time I, the, the praise for a match is so strong that if I watch it right away, there's absolutely zero chance it's ever going to be even in the universe of the amount of praise it got for me. So I just assume wait six months to watch the stuff when I can watch it on my own terms and not have to deal with people saying it's the greatest match in wrestling history or some crap. You know, like the, the, I think the turning point for me with New Japan this year, even though I ended up watching everything basically through April, I think the turning point for me with New Japan this year was when I said that Kenny Omega and Okada at the Dome was a very good match, and people literally criticized me and trolled me for weeks because I didn't say it was the best match of all time. I'm like, okay, you can't like calling it a very good match is treated like Holocaust denial to these people, so that tells me all I need to know about. <laughs> Yeah. At, 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 at that stage, it's like, all right, I, I just don't want to deal with this. A little six-star um, fear there? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a little six-star fear. So, um, we all get that every yeah, once in a while. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a point where it's just like, eh, okay, you know, fine, I, I get it. But, um, you know, that's fine. I get that a lot of people watch that, and I get that a lot of people watch WWE and are super into that. That's cool, and you and Devin and Frey, well, really, or, or excuse me, New York Mike, uh, did a I think a very good job, particularly Devin in New York. Mike, you really didn't do anything. no. I didn't do anything. But, I was off the ride. They, they did a very good job running down everything that's gone on in that promotion. But in theory, Evolve would be like the next place that you would go to if you were an indie wrestling fan right now, as far as like a singular place to check out. You know, a lot of the top guys. Or well, whatever. if you're if you're uh, checking out New York, Mike's. Uh... Twitter feed, you're going to find out the next place's progress that you're looking at. Um, well, okay. Well, progress is a you know, wholly owned subsidiary of wrestling entertainment. So, you, like, I mean, and I don't even say that, like, as a jerkish comment. I mean, I, and I, look, I'm not, let me be clear. I don't <laughs> think progress is actually owned by the WWE, but it's pretty clear that they have a very tight relationship and probably a tighter relationship than we even realize. So, it, you know, it, I have no problem calling them an indie. I don't think that that's um, out of the question. Uh, but I don't think that, like, like to me, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, they're clearly the hot ticket with a lot of indie fans, right? Yeah. But is that really it? Is there like no American indie that people are people are going to? That is to, correct. 
that's no, you really nailed it. weird. You nailed it. Um, that is, Evolve, not a hot product. Really, um, people don't but want here, But here's what's strange about that. Here's what's strange about that. There's a, a lot of American indies that are actually doing, like, pretty good business right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just so, don't know if there's an individual one you can kind of hone in on. Um, but I'll fire up the high spots, and I'll look at what's new, and I'm pressing play on a bad boy, um, and we're going to go to town. Uh, that's how yeah, I'm approaching 2017 wrestling, but I'm a, I'm a weirdo. Well, I do think that there is a fun a la carte quality. I mean, you know this. I've, I was doing this for years on YouTube. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a fun a la carte quality to just like, fi- like finding a random wrestler or promotion and just sort of going with it, right? Like, and I mean, for me, you know, when I think of the promotions that have really jumped out to me in 2017 at an independent level, they're, I mean, Glory Pro jumps out to me, um, Nova Pro jumps out to me, and CWF jumps out to me. Um, and CWF's on a free platform. You can watch weekly whenever you want, uh, you know. Um, and neither Nova or Glory Pro, I mean, Glory Pro, I guess, is technically part of High Spots. Uh, but the shows get released a little bit after the fact. Um, Nova is part of Powerbomb, but so far they've only uploaded shows from, you know, earlier in their run. Yeah, fuck you, kid. Um, I got issues. I got issues. (laughs) So, eh, I mean... I I I get it. I get it. I just don't... I work with Powerbomb. I think it's a great service. I think there's a lot of utility to it. I think you should do some of your decade in indies or whatever the hell that gimmick is post on some of the older stuff that's up there because I think there's some stuff that you'd like. But, but... Um, it's a, I mean, Flo, the, the stuff that's going on with Flow Slam has really, I think, illustrated that there is a way to do a bigger streaming si- system, but it's probably not the way that a lot of people, um, would ideally want because money is a real thing. Like you're not like, you can't just say I'm going to do X and then will it into existence you have to have an infrastructure for it you have to have like you have to be able to convince people that it's a smart and sound decision to do certain things and i don't know it's tough but um no i'm not i'm not about people making good business decisions this is professional wrestling after all i want uh, people to sink money in to provide cheap wrestling that's real good that comes to my screen that's all i want Sam wants a company to be open for six months, but they're them all to be good shows. Exactly. So that's a when more could a you want? Good, good shows where the promoter bankrupts himself and then ends up in a hostage situation that the police have to deal with months later when he can't pay his rent. There's <laughs> always the, another money maker around the corner, you know. I <laughs> that's the dream. So I mean, I do think some other promote like I think Anarchy does a lot of good stuff. I think Anarchy is a super fun show. I think everybody should watch Anarchy, and and I'm not just saying that because. You know, I'm a powerbomb.tv guy. I really think like it's a super fun indie that does indie wrestling different than other shows are doing. But, um, and they put on some really good matches of completely different styles there that you, you'd see a lot of other places. But it is just kind of weird to think that in the States, there's not really that single unifying indie right now if we sort of accept that Evolve's not where 
a high visibility place for people, you know, like, and it's really crazy because if you were at Mania Weekend, you, I mean, and obviously we were, I mean, I sat right next to you for some of those shows. It, I mean, it was clear then that Evolve was nowhere near as hot as, say, Progress, but, but I don't feel like if we go, rewind to Mania Weekend, it, I don't feel like it's the same thing now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like at that point, Evolve still felt like the unifying theme of U.S. Indies, right? Like that yeah. was like the, and it's just just slowly since April. I feel like slowly over the course of the last six months, that's just sort of increasingly been less and less so. And I don't even know when the exact turning point was. It just slowly over time, it just feels like that's been less and less so. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's that. You've got other services like like Powerbomb or like High Spots that are cheaper than Flow Slam that offer tons of different content from a lot of different places where Flow seemed to have put pretty much all their eggs in one basket. I don't know if that's it. Like I, I don't know if um, you know the WWE doing the UK deal and then like I I honestly have no idea. It makes it makes no sense to me why all of a sudden it would have happened. I mean. I guess the $30 price point decision may have been a turning point for some people, but, uh, apparently, apparently people are a little scared when that happens. They're like, I don't want that. Um, and they bailed out. That kind of makes sense. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Being triple all other comparable services, all of which have more content than you is probably not a good strategy. Um, but by the way, Sam, I do want to point this out before we get back onto the actual topic at hand. I do think it's interesting that for all the hemming and hawing about how live content is the only thing that matters, and I don't want to watch wrestling unless it's live, and live is God, and you know, live died on the cross for our sins, and watching anything on VOD is terrible, and why would anybody want to do it? The service that actually in, that went all the hardest all-in strategy on on live was flow and look at their situation right now compared to the more slow growth building up to live shoots that we've seen at a power bomb and the strategy that high spots has done, which is almost entirely VOD. Uh, I think that tells you that the, a lot of the live fetishism uh, is just stuff that people don't actually pay for. Um, that's, and, and by the way, I'm not saying people shouldn't do live streams. Um, I think it's actually awesome that power bombs doing two live streams this weekend from all, literally like wildly different promotions and places on the globe. I'll like, admit I'm worried, but like I'm excited about it. I mean, um, it's look, I, I'm worried too, but <laughs> if you follow Powerbomb when they have done their live streams, they've they've worked. Yeah. They've done well. You know, I mean, the the burlesque deal from the from the uh Chikara factory had no issues. Um there were some initial issues due to a minor coding thing with the uh, uh, Break the Barrier event, but they were taken care of before the first match even started, and then it was perfectly fine. All the Grand Slam wrestling events that were done on Facebook have been fine. So I'm pretty confident about it, um, and I think that the shows in question, both the Beyond Show and the Preston City Wrestling shows show are very cool shows to start with because I think they're totally different shows. You and know, You know what's funny? What's so the, the the promotion that sends Chris Masters to a dude's house to steal steal back some content they stole, um, that's the promotion that's kind of um, right now the head of 
indie wrestling in the UK um, without a wrestler that's kind of heavily tied uh, to the World Wrestling Federation synced into that roster. Um, So that's fun. I tell you this, it is deeply amusing to me that Preston City Wrestling is going to have a live stream um, available on a streaming service, not as part of like an individual deal or, you know, whatever, but as part of an overall streaming service package, that they're going to have that done uh, here, um, really, I think, before any other UK show did it. Um, I, I guess... Technically, I think Progress was on WWN Live over Mania Weekend, but they weren't part of the Flow Slam package, right? Yeah. Um, so I believe this is a first for the UK, I think, I'm, although I'm not positive of it. And it brings great joy to me that the most heavily promoted match on that show is a Dean, is a Dean Allmark match. <laughs> and a vowed longtime Dean Allmark mark who thinks he's super underrated. Um and gets no credit because people don't pay attention to the camp shows and they pretend they're not good because you you know you can't get hammered there and you know or, or whatever. I, I assume that's the only reason people don't think James Mason's great. I don't know why else he would other than like just not being very bright. But <laughs> like I mean I get that like it's, I mean look if I drank all the time and went to watch wrestling drunk and enjoyed watching in a party atmosphere like that. I probably would think that, you know, a lot of guys who I don't think are anything that special or right now are great too. Um, <laughs> and, and there are, cer- and there are certainly a lot of guys that work in progress and the other bigger feds there who I love, like are think are great wrestlers. Like I think Pete Dunn's great. I think Tyler Bates very, like very, very, very good. Um, uh, I like Rampage Brown a whole whole lot. Um, I could probably think of some others, but the like I think it's neat that Preston City's is is going to be in that position, and I also think it's neat that Mike Bailey is going to be on a live stream event after being barred from the U.S. because um, he's also on that show. So um, that's pretty cool. I feel um, like I've missed this, and that's very exciting. Yeah. So that that's that that that's that's definitely pretty cool, and I I think, I, but I think it's interesting. I think it's really interesting how, um, and it's also cool. I think just because Beyond and Present City both seem very excited for this, um, in a way that did not feel, um, when promotions were were on on flow like a PWX, um, it just feels more like a community. I don't know, um. But I yeah, dig that I mean, kind of idea, especially today people, of all days. I think people who have dealt with things that we've done with Powerbomb so far know that we've none of us have promised things that we couldn't deliver, which at times means that we've had to say, tell people things that um, maybe they didn't want to hear. You know, like um, maybe we couldn't deliver anywhere near the type of money that a Flow Slam said they could deliver or whatever. Uh, but um, – I think it's I, I think it's good for indie wrestling to have this sort of thing in place, and the fact that people will be able to watch Dean Allmark versus Chris Wordsway, uh, you know, on Friday on a stream, and then watch Matt Tremont wrestle in thumbtacks with Ace Romero, <laughs> like a couple days later on a stream from the same service, I think is a really good thing. Uh, like I, I think that's good for indie wrestling. I think it's good for wrestling in general, and. Um, I swear to God, I'm not trying to make this a commercial for Powerbomb. I'm really not. It just sort of ended up in this direction. But, the, like, and that's not a knock on anybody else. Like, 
you know, because I know people will probably hear some of the stuff I just said and think I'm taking shots at progress. I'm not. I think what progress has done is kind of amazing. You know, I think it's uh, really in many ways incredible what they've been able to do. And I thought their New York event was one of the best shows of the year so far. Um, I think they do have some of the better wrestlers in the world wrestling for them regularly or at least semi-regularly. Um, I want all those guys to succeed too. You know, like I don't have any beef with, with any of that. I want Evolve to succeed, even though this whole situation is insane. Uh, but, and, and I don't know if the, I want Gabe to succeed. I don't know if I want that. I, I said I want Evolve to succeed. <laughs> Fair. Um, but what's Evolve without Sal and Gabe? What, well, what is it? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> uh, but he, I mean, Keith Lee is the other is another guy that you guys didn't talk about on the last show who I felt you should talk about because Keith Lee over WrestleMania weekend I feel like was obviously the guy that weekend right like I, I like I think he was obviously the guy and for me it was really impressive to watch because the previous year we uh, you know I'd also done WrestleMania weekend the previous year and that year we went to a couple ROH shows um, is that promotion still open? I, I heard they actually have a pay per view on oh, Friday. I, that's right. My dad's going to be there. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, so, so, so last year we went to um, our 2016. We went to a couple of Ring of Honor shows, and on those shows in the dark matches, and Dustin's sitting here playing a non-Bubsy video game next to me can confirm this. We saw, we saw uh, Keith Lee teaming up with Shane Taylor as the Pretty Boy Killers in the couple of the dark match openers, and they were super over. And I remember both of us sitting there and being like, God, these guys should be used more places, right? Like It was really cool to see that from that WrestleMania weekend and then see the progression yeah. to the next one. Yeah, because you fast forward a year, and Keith Lee was like the guy this year, you know? Um you could argue that some of the booking decisions with him over Mania Weekend were odd, uh, but from a match perspective, I mean, the 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 DiJack match was incredible. The Ricochet match was excellent, probably the best Ricochet match I've seen in the last two or three years. Um, you know, the match with Leo Rush from Janela Spring Break was a very very good match. Um, he just was the guy that weekend that really broke out and it's the thing is he's continued it over the course of the year really like i think he's had probably riddle's best main event of the year was their match with boom which was excellent and probably a top 10-ish match of the year for me that again nobody's talking about because that happened after the period where people just quit talking about evolve um are talking as much about evolve i should say um I think if you watch him in something like the pro, the progress match, um, the multi-man four-way, he's in there with a bunch of littler guys, people like Mark Andrews, Austin Theory, uh, Haskins, whatever, and they're doing like basically like a standard work rate sprint, like go-go, almost scramble-style match. And he is probably the most spectacular guy in the match. And that's pretty impressive, right? Like, you know, it's just... But but the thing about Keith Lee is he's not solely just the guy that has those kind of matches. Like, it, I, I saw his match with Michael Elgin live at Glory Pro, and it's not that kind of match at all. It was a big Haas match, and yeah, they did some athletic stuff, but it wasn't like nonstop athleticism. 
um, there there were things built to in it, and uh, stuff with the, their time was managed very well. Or if you like, I saw him. Uh, I didn't see him live, but I've seen the match, the Angelus Lane match from Nova Pro, which on paper is about as risky a match as you could possibly have. You have a giant baby face, like a 350 pound baby face dude, coming in as a hired hand to defend a guy, a guy who got burned by a woman who he is going being paid to basically beat up. Like on paper, that as that's very problematic on paper, right? Like, um, but the execution of the match was so good that it it really it really did, and I you know I didn't feel uncomfortable watching it. I thought it was a really good match. You know, I mean, it was a, a, a well above what I would have expected, and I'm somebody who likes Angelus Lane and Keith Lee a, a lot, but it was still well above what I would have expected given the all the ways in which a match like that could possibly go wrong. <laughs> um, so that match was, like, super good, you know? And it's just, if you watch him on things like the those Northeast Wrestling shows on high spots or places like that, like, he consistently has fun, good matches no matter who he's in the ring with. If you put him in the ring with a, another big guy, you know, he, he can have the Hoss fight. If you put him in there with a little guy, he's an excellent base. He can also make the little guy's offense look good. He has some of the best offense himself in pro wrestling. Um, I just think he's had a, a really a killer year. Like, I, I don't think he would necessarily be my number one right this second. But I can't think of any bad performance of his this year. And I would would – tend to say that he is probably the most like one of the most exciting wrestlers to watch in the world because it seems like anything is possible in a Keith Lee match both stylistically and athletically and that's not something you can say for a lot of people so to me he's another guy where it's like I get why people are talking about Walter's year I think Walter's had a great year he'd be way up my list um, but I think Keith Lee is right with him when you're thinking about the bigger guys. You know, I think Walter, Keith Lee, and Braun are all sort of having excellent years when it comes to big dudes. And I, if anybody, if so, like if somebody had any one of those three guys as their number one for the year, I really would have no problem with it. Yeah, he he's someone that has such an aura about him. It's if you haven't been to a live Keith Lee performance, it's definitely it, it, it feels like you're part of something unique. Um, he's also a giant human, so that's always good um, in the professional wrestling. He is so thick, um, it's wild. So I think it's probably the, his, the most noble thing that's going to go down for him this year is a series with Dijak. Would that yeah. be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think. This has actually, I think, been kind of an underrated year for the series in general, right? Because if you're a New Japan fan, you got Okada and Omega, which is like an all-time series for for the hardcore New Japan fans. And if you, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, if you're a fan of British wrestling, even though you've been probably been watching Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate do their thing for a little bit, them being able to do it on a bigger stage this year, I think, has really like sort of opened them up at least at a broader level of being like a matchup that you want to see, like another sort of series like matchup that you really want to see. Um, 
and I think you could kind of say the same thing for Matt Riddle and, and Walter um, as like another series that you want to see. Their matches in progress have, have all all been great. And then I also think you can say the same thing about about Lee and Dijak, where it's like a series that those guys like as a whole have really. Um, I don't know. Like it's just one of the defining things of 2017, at least at an indie level. Yeah, I think it's been a really good year for those sorts of matches, um, and I'm a big fan of it because I like seeing kind of traveling matchups as well as just guys that have such good chemistry, and you can kind of see them bleed throughout the the year. I think next up, so we keep this thing chugging. Is going to be Joey Janela. Does that seem about right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I now, 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 Sam, I don't know what exactly what your position is on Joe. I don't know Are either. You... I feel like I have a guy like this every year where I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if I'm as high on him as everyone else. And then when I get to the end of the year, I look through my spreadsheets. I go, well, maybe, maybe I'm up there. Um, so I think Joey's kind of that guy where in th- I, I like him more in practice than in theory, which I don't think is how it's supposed to work. Um, but I like the matches he's in, but at the same time, I'm I never really look forward to him. Um, I'm like, ah, there's gonna be some real dumb things here that go against my stylistic preferences. Um, but you're higher on him than that aspect, so I'll let you kind of um, dive into that. Um, yeah, I think he's. Here's the thing about about Janela. I think even he knows that he's probably not for everybody at like at least in at least in a sense he knows that. But I think as he's developed the sort of bad boy persona not just as like, you know, an idea or a rough character sketch, but as like almost a mantra and a way of doing business and gallivanting around the indie wrestling landscape. He's become synonymous with indie wrestling. Like, if you ask me who's the first guy I think of when I think of real indie wrestling in 2017, and by that I mean clearly unaffiliated from corporate empires, the the first – and it's because he lives his life and and he wrestles and he he projects himself as a star almost in a way that is a throwback to the old sort of outlaw mentality of wrestling. Um, and I don't mean like, you know, uh, like just being an asshole to be an asshole or anything like that, but just sort of having a character, being the character, doing what you want to do and having that character be an authentic expression of yourself sort of amplified, um, and being, and, and, and taking risk. I mean, independent wrestling for a long time, when the, when the super injuries were first sort of developing and I hate that term, but whatever, when they were first developing, so much of it was about guys taking risk and doing crazy things. Like if you go back and watch early Wild Side, it's all sorts of crazy risk, from crazy angles to crazy um, move choices to crazy stipulations. That's that's what it is. And you could say the same thing for early Combat Zone or early JAPW or whatever. I mean, you could say it for all sorts of those 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 promotions from that that early era of what I sort of view as the modern era of indie wrestling, um, and I think that era of indie wrestling is kind of dead and is being replaced by this weird sort of indie wrestling that we have now, where I don't know where we are, where you've got some indies that are kind of affiliated with corporations or bigger brands on some level. And then you've got some indies that are sort of reverting back almost to a territory model. And I just think we're in a state of flux right now. 
Um, I think it'll work out, but it's it's a state of flux. But the thing is, Janela being a throwback, you know, being almost like his generation's Trent Acid or something, for lack of a better way of putting it, I think it makes him stand out more as a performer. And it it makes it where you he he he's a totalistic sort of wrestler and i don't think like aside from maybe somebody like nick gage who would be another example i don't think there's very many totalistic pro wrestlers where their social media their gimmick their their wrestling like all of it kind of comes together in a package that is easy to understand and is easy to gravitate to or to oppose for that matter, if you, if you don't like him. But I think it's, it's, he's just such a well-defined guy in that sense. And I mean, he also is one of these guys who has a lot of these matches where it seems like it shouldn't work. And then somehow it does. And guy, like guys like that are also guys that I'm a big fan of, where you think, all right, this match probably shouldn't work out. And then you watch the match, and it's, be- it's you know, it- it's way better than you think. Like, I mean, the Gennetti match would probably be the best example of that, and I don't even think you necessarily have to think that match is great. But I think most people thought that was just going to be, like, shtick and not really doing anything. And then they actually went out there and had, like, a pretty good match, <laughs> like, when they actually tried to do stuff while also playing with the theme of absurd that was sort of underlying the idea of the match in the first place. But, you know, um, he's a show stealer, period. Like, if you go back and watch his match with Jimmy Havoc from, from that Progress New York show, he went out to steal the show. You know, that on that night it called for him to wrestle a certain style, so he wrestled a certain style. You know, when he was on the style battle shows or whatever, that, that FIP weekend that he was on, like, he kind of did the same thing there. He adjusted his style to that. Like, I just think he's – there's not any real wrestlers like him um, at this point. I don't think that there's really anybody to compare him to. Um, and for that reason, he he stands out above the pack. Like, I don't know that – he would be uh, my number one, even with a really strong close to the year. But in terms of a guy who sort of raised his profile and done it in a way that makes him more compelling to me as well as to wrestling in general, I can't think of anybody who's had a better year than him. Yeah. um, I think – a lot of people should watch the Darby Allen match, um, which I think is kind of just a straightforward Joey Janela match. It's kind of like when I think of Joey Janela, that match is now kind of going to be the epitome of what I'm thinking about. Um, whether I thought it was a great match or not, kind of irrelevant to that point. Um, when I think of Joey Janela, I think of creativity. I think of some real dumb bumps that I appreciate because you know what I I like the bumps. And doing things that you're not going to see typically uh, in these matches. Um, just take, doing twists on things uh, that other wrestlers just aren't doing. Um, he just happens to do it with weapons a lot of the times. He can straight wrestle, but I don't know if that's kind of a strong suit. Um, but he, he's had a really good year, I think, um, as far as kind of mixing it up and just 
being different, uh, which kind of goes a long way in 2017 where everyone feels, um, or most people feel, real similar to each other uh, at a core level. So what's next? Oh, oh I, I got somebody that we didn't go over in our pre-analysis that I do want to talk about because this person is somebody who I'm really high on who I think can be polarizing to some people, um, but I think he's had a tremendous year uh, and <clears throat> is somebody who I think has also raised their profile too. That's Kurt Stallion. Um, I think Stallion is like he's – he's, he's probably my top ten right now. Like, I just feel like he's a guy who, like, if, if you were to ask me, who's my favorite person to watch live this year, I think my answer is, is Kurt Stallion. And I think the reason why is when he, he has an innate energy to him when he comes through a curtain at a wrestling show that makes you immediately gravitate to him. Even if you know he might do things in the match that drive you crazy, that aren't necessarily to your aesthetic taste, he always manages to get over. And he has an, just an innate quality to immediately connect to a crowd. Like when, when Southern Underground Pro decided to bring him in and, and make him a top guy, I think there was an idea like, I mean, like, that he would work out. But I also, for my own self, and yeah, I'm involved with that promotion, but for my own self, I thought, okay, he's not a local guy to this area. I know he's really good at connecting with people, but is this going to work at that level? And if, I mean, he's like so far and above the, the most over guy there, it's insane. And if you go to a Blur Pro show, which I have a few times this year, he's probably the most over guy on those shows or close to it. And they're bringing in huge names and Elgin is, you know, obviously right there, right? So it's like he just – at SCI – you know, I didn't know how he would when, – when we brought him in there, I honestly didn't know how he was going to do in front of that crowd. I figured he'd do well. I would say no disrespect to anybody else on the show because I think everybody got over and did well, um, to be honest. But I feel like he got over as well as anybody on the show other than maybe Riddle. Like, I, like he just immediately connects with people. And as a sprint wrestler in the year of the sprint – Kurt Stallion is really good at that style. Um, if you watch his Erie match from the first Glory Pro show, it is incredible. Absolutely amazing performance. Um, probably gained more from losing that match than he would be from would gain from beating a lot of people. Like I think his matches with Myron Reed across various indies are really good. He's got some stuff from Proving Ground Pro this year. You can find on YouTube that's really good. Um, uh, I think he did very well for himself at, at SCI. I thought it was very revealing that when he was in the ring with Riddle, it got a reaction like there were two superstars in the ring. And that's not easy to do when you have one guy who's clearly on his way up and isn't at that star level yet in the eyes of a lot of people. Um, I think his match with Kyle O'Reilly at Glory Pro is probably one of the most underrated matches in all of wrestling on the planet in 2017. I thought it was excellent. Um, I think Stallion sells better than almost anybody in wrestling. Um, I know some people don't like the the Hulk up comeback spots. I'm not the biggest fan of the world in the world of them at all times either. But there is something that works with me to a degree with the way Stallion does it because. You've got this guy that looks like Kendall Wyndham, hits like Stan Hansen, 
constantly takes punishment, but he's always in the fight. And I just connect with that on some level that's hard to explain. Um, you know, he's just had a lot of really good matches this year. Uh, and it doesn't really matter who he's in the ring with. You know, I've seen him in the ring with some of the absolute top guys in indie wrestling. And I've seen him in the ring with guys that are just sort of there or, you know, and he always delivers and always gets over and the matches are always super fun. And he always has something a little bit different or a spin on something. Like I thought his match with Dominic Greeny from Punk Pro WrestleMania weekend was a, a very underrated match. His match with Martin Stone from Glory Pro, which is up on YouTube, is another really underrated match. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't have that single like, oh my God, this is a match of the year level performance. But he's kind of a compiler because he's got so much good that I almost don't think it matters that he doesn't have necessarily have that one sort of kick you in the teeth, like un, uh, unquestioned classic. And as long as, you know, Michael Elgin keeps um, sort of emphasizing him at Glory Pro, um, he's going to get those chances. I'm really excited to to be able to see his match with Sanjay Dutt tomorrow night at Nova Pro. Like, I think that has potential to be a great wrestling match. Um and, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to mention him because I'm probably higher on him than a lot of people are. But I do think he's had a demonstrably great year. And in terms of guys who have elevated themselves over the last year, I don't think there's too many people you could rate higher than him. I appreciate you discussing Big Mike surrogate son. Um, <laughs> it's such a unique relationship they have. Um, keep putting that boy in good positions. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have the same connection to Kurt as you do. I know a lot of people have that connection with Kurt, though. Um, which, you know, I, on some level, it makes it harder for me to kind of grasp because pretty much the most people that uh, I see, the people most putting Kurt over are also the people that have put over Kurt on a personal level, um, which is cool, but also is like, you know, where's that random dude from from the UK who's gonna put over Kurt? Um, I, I I don't know if I've seen enough sort of differing ideologies and perspectives on Kurt to kind of grasp where does he fall across the board. Um, but right now, the certain segment of fans, he's definitely hitting home. Um, right now, for me, he kind of falls in that boat of having tendencies I really dislike. Um, but up until I see those, he does a really great job, and I love it. Um, but it's when he gets to those, I'm just like, ah, well, maybe not for me. So I don't know if he's built up enough goodwill with me to kind of show off those tendencies, whereas when Matt Riddle was uh, kind of growing up over the past two years in pro wrestling, um, he didn't start with the tendencies. He kind of gathered those um, as indie wrestling destroyed what was pure. Um, as it does. So, well, well, one thing I do want to say, because there is sort of the, the, uh, the, the, the good brother category, right? And this accusation has been made before. And I, I know you're not explicitly making this accusation, but I do think you're making a relevant point, which is, is it, you know, if you have a friendship with somebody or you like somebody personally, does it unfairly sort of like, is it possible that that's clouding your judgment a little bit in terms of how you view them as a performer? And I actually don't think that's 
an an unfair statement to make. Like, I think that's a fa- that's a fair question to at least ask uh, in a situation, right? Like, is this really about whether or not you see? The, and th- look, I admit that there are things that I know about Kurt. Like, I can't separate. For example, I know the guy's hurt all the time. I can't separate that from when I watch his matches. So when I watch him take a crazy bump and then stand up, like. I like I know this guy is fighting through a pain every match anyway. And the fact that he's such a slender guy actually enhances it for me visually in a way, because it's not just the same old Haas doing the same old I'm going to sit up now spot because that's what Haas's do. It's the one small guy on the Indies who does it, which is part of the reason that it works for me, too. But I, I do think it's a valid question to ask and, and not unfair to say is part of this. Like, not just in his case, but in the case of other people, it's part of that praise that you know them or that you like them personally. And I think, you know, maybe. But then I, th- I start to think about it, and I'm like, okay, Trent Seven's probably brought a lot of people beer in England. Um, it is, but nobody questions the authenticity of Trent Seven being loved, even though he's got the look of a guy that would be absolutely clowned and loathed if he was a Southern indie wrestler, regardless of how good he was. Um, I mean, or to take the more obvious example, nobody in the UK was really talking about Riddle until Riddle went over, had a match that people seemed to respond to, and then went out drinking with a lot of people. (laughs) Suddenly, Matt Riddle became the god of England. Now, was that because he had a great match that everybody loved? Or was it because they met him and they thought he was a cool guy and he went to the bar? Now, I would I would be willing to bet that it's actually a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't I don't think that there's anything wrong with the like both sort of considerations being in place. How it speaks to Kurt specifically, in my case, um, there are a lot of people that I'm friends with in pro wrestling. Or that at least I talk to and like a whole, 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 whole lot. Um, you know, there are also some people I talk to in pro wrestling and don't like. But um, I'm not saying this to be like, oh, I know people. Who gives a fuck if I know people? It's like whatever. But I'm not mentioning all of those people on this this podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? And in fact, there are some people who are who I like a lot of as people that I. And specifically trying to avoid discussing on this podcast because I don't want to have to publicly say things about how I'm not so high about certain things they do. So um, to me, I admit that there is probably sort of a a gray area, at least on certain aspects, where me liking somebody as a person or being friends or friendly with them might affect how I view them as a wrestler to a degree. Um but a, I don't think that that's a unique quality of people to the United States, which seems to be the position of some people. And uh, in fact, I think if anything, it's probably even more likely in in smaller places where the the sort of cultural framework is is more narrowly defined. Um, but b, I also don't think, for the purposes of this discussion, that it really matters that much because I'm not trying to put over. Kurt specifically or uh, Yehai, who I also am buddies with or whoever, because of the fact that I know them. Um, But you were a mark for Yehai when he was doing YouTube with David Richards and 
whole bunch of his other uh, backyard friends. Um, that, 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 that is true. That is very true, and it's demonstrably true. But, 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 I was also, you know, and Dustin, who's, again, sitting right next to me, uh, I, I think can vouch for this. I was also in the building at AWE when Kurt Stallion threw a chop and got over with all of us there, and I turned to my brothers and said, this guy's going to be huge. So, like... Are you talking about the promotion I, that got worked by uh, a sports brand recently? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, uh, but, but, so, I mean, my point is, I was probably more ground floor on Stallion than people realized, too. And that's, again, that's not me saying, like, oh, I knew somebody before, there, or some fucking stupid shit like that. But more to make the point that I was I'd never met him in my life the first time I saw him and thought, oh, man, this guy's gonna be really good. Um, so, you know, uh, but I gotcha. I gotcha. But, but but I do get why people don't like the no cell Germans. I, I totally get it. There's at an instinctual level. I don't really like it either. And there are times and matches where I wish he wouldn't do it. And that's something he wouldn't. It's not like I haven't told him that myself. Um, but I, I just feel like. As an overall performer this year, I feel like he's had a great year. And there are not a whole lot of people that I think, uh, especially in the U.S. Indies, who have had better years than him. Um, I think the list would be really, really small. Uh, And the good thing about Stallion is a lot of this, uh, well, at least a fair amount of his stuff, is available on places like High Spots um, or YouTube or whatever. So, you know. And I'm excited as he's becoming a bigger part of AAW, it looks like, um, going forward, uh, which has been kind of where Big Mike kind of grew as a performer, where he had a home when uh, he was working at ROH um, and not quite getting the opportunities or um, where he could really be a more creative individual, even if the matches weren't exactly my cup of tea. Um, I'm kind of hoping the, the Big Mike poll kind of allows him to allows Kurt some flexibility and also being able to apply his craft in Chicago. You know what? That's a great segue, Sam. I'm going to inject Michael Elgin into this discussion. What do you think of Michael Elgin's year so far? I don't, no comment? Can I say no comment? Because I feel like you're going to be real positive, and I don't want to be a downer. Well, here's the thing. I I actually am real positive on it. I think he's had a great year. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but. I, I am interested in general because he's a guy where I think he's kind of gotten lost in the – it's weird to say, but I think he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle because of other stuff that's going – it's kind of like your your favorite wrestler of all time, Sammy Callahan, where be, because he's got, so, he's got so much stuff going on, I think nobody's really talking about him as a wrestler or like not as many people as you think. So many people when they talk about Elgin are talking about Glory Pro. Or they're, in many cases, they're talking about his trainees going out and doing more stuff. I feel like a lot of people are not – like there's not as much talk about Mike himself. And I think in a way he's gotten lost in the shuffle in New Japan because while he's still sort of in that – I don't know where how you would classify him. He's not – obviously he's not Omega or Naito or Okada or Tanahashi. But he's also not really a mid carter, really either. He's kind of like he's, you know, he's in that kind of weird gray area um, between being 
a main event dude and being like a I, I don't know. So even upper mid Carter doesn't feel quite right to me, or at least that's not my perception of him. Some people who follow New Japan more closely might say, no, dumbass, that's what he is. That's fine. Um, but I think, you know, I like the Omega match a good bit from the New Japan special. I thought his Naito match from earlier in the year is one of the better New Japan matches of the entire year, honestly. Um, like, I like it better than most of the vaunted classics from New Japan this year, with the exception of the match where a guy almost died, which was legitimately great. Um, not because the guy almost died, though. Uh, so, and I think he's been very good in his role at Glory Pro, which I think has been an extremely smart role, where he's put himself in these sort of, you know, when people were like, oh, it's a, it's a vanity promotion for Elgin, blah, 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 blah. It's like, if you watch the shows and have seen the promotion and how it's built, it's so clearly not that, that it, I actually think it makes people look stupid when they say it. I, I think because, it was a lot easier to make that argument after the first couple shows. Um, but it's very clear that that's not the direction he had ever planned yeah. on going after Here's that. Here's the thing. Even – look, I went to the first show, okay? And I can tell you, did it, when I realized – that he was putting the title match on last over him and Riddle, I was like, this is a guy that gets it. He's using this show to build his students and to get these guys more experience and to basically solidify the St. Louis scene. And that is exactly what he's done. Has he booked himself against Cody and Penta and Riddle? Yeah. And he's also booked Everett Connors against David Starr. And he's booked... um, uh, Kurt Stallion against Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, and he's booked Myron Reed versus uh, people like A.R. Fox and Ray Phoenix. So it's, it's I mean, come on. Like, it, it is in no way, shape, or form is this a show that's been built uh, with the only intention of Elgin getting matches against big indie names. I if mean, anything, and he's, he's now he's integrated himself into the tag team division. Yeah, and I mean, it seems clear to me that he used his name which admittedly was a top name on the Indies, I think by any standard, whether you think he's good, bad, or in between. And he used his name to build the credibility of promotion and get people loyal to a lot of the guys that he's going to be regularly using. And it worked. A hundred fucking percent, it worked. Like, um, so anyway, I... But that, but again, I'm, we're not even talking about him as a wrestler. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about his booking philosophy. And I think he's lost in that because... I do think he's had some good stuff in AAW. I like the Saber match a lot. I think you don't like it that much. I don't remember. Um, no, no. I, like, like I, I, I liked it a lot. It's one of the only Saber matches this year that really stands out to me, to be honest. Um, uh, I see. For like, me, it feels like kind of copy and paste of what uh, of a, an indie super indie match structure. Um, so it seems what? like something that would not be up your alley, admittedly. Here, well, here, here's the thing. Granted, you, I, you've grown, you've grown soft on me, Dylan, over the past year. So well, you know. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, some people might say that, right? Um, I think actually going to more indie shows has kind of changed my opinion about certain things. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but another another factor is I actually think the fact that they work that match that way is the reason I like it. I like that they didn't do the Zack Saber Junior special of. You know, let's have four and a half hours of mat work just so Zach can show that he can do holds, which we all know he can do, and there's really no reason for it. And you know, then let's 
um, go to the spot where, uh, you know, somebody does like the other guy does his obligatory thing for a minute. And then we go back to how is he going to escape from the 400 Zack Sabre holds like. I mean, some of that was there, but I don't think it was as much as you see in, say, an average Sabre Evolve match, which I, the funny thing is I tend to think all those matches are good. It's just I also think, okay, I know what's going to happen. And I, I liked the fact that it was more of a bomb-throwing match. I liked that, you know? It, it just, um, I don't know. I, but, but I also get why somebody might not like it. I, I, I don't think it's whatever. I, I also saw him wrestle Odinson on a New South show live, and I that was – fun. And, and, well, the thing about that match was that I was kind of worried because I was like, all right. Because the show up to that point had not been so great, and um, they went on way later than they should have because the match that preceded them went way too long. And I was like, oh, okay, this this if I was in Mike's shoes, I would want to be getting home. <sighs> you know, this is yeah. And he went out and had like not that it went forever, but it's probably about a fifteen minute match with Odinson, and um, it. it it absolutely delivered on exactly what you would want that match to be. Um, and that was really huge to me because I've seen so many guys that are big names on smaller shows like that, that probably they're, you know, you don't have to go out there and try to have a good match in front of those shows, frankly, because maybe they're not going to make tape or if they do, not as many people are going to see it. And, you know, it's not necessarily your natural fan base. And he didn't do that. He went out and had a really good match, you know, and uh, that show desperately needed a really good match, too, let me tell you. And uh, so that went a long way with me. So I don't know where I would personally have him, but I do think he's had a really good year. I mean, honestly, when I was watching New Japan, you know, earlier in the year, he would he was easily one of my favorite guys to watch in the company. Um, and he's been one of my favorite guys to watch. Um uh, on the indies this year outside of, uh, you know, Evolve and outside of um, CWF, which I guess is an opportunity for another transition. So I, I someone that we felt like we glossed over uh, on that show with Tanner and Quinn was Trevor Lee, um, which even you said you're not sure if he sh- is a top contender, but he warrants a discussion. Um Still big match, Trev. Uh, he still has those matches. Arguably this year he's had multiple talked-up big matches. Um, so it's actually a little weird that he's not, I think, buzzworthy as he was last year. But um, can you walk me through the paces of Trevor Lee? Um, well, I think CWF this year... Um... <sighs> I actually think in a weird way, like, so last year was the year that I think CWF broke out for a lot of people and more people started paying attention to it than had been paying attention to it before. Is that a fair thing to say, you think? Yeah, I think that's right on the money. They had a period probably in 2014 or 2012 through 2014 where they were to occasionally pop up and people like, whoa, what's what's going on here with the power uh, the PW Ponderings kind of? Um, relationship to an extent, but I think um, 2016, they really took that next step to consistently put out stuff and consistently raise their profile. 
Yeah, and I mean, a part of that, uh, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say a part of that was due to wrestling with words, paying attention to them, you know, like, um, and, like, I... I, I R.I.P. Well, I mean, <laughs> um, it, it, like, I do think that was, a fa- like, a, 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 a part of it is that, like, there was a wrestling website that covered them at least some oftentimes as as a pretty big deal you know and uh so i think that that was kind of a a launching pad for them being you know more relevant to a certain group of fan uh than they had been before um and you know this year i think what's kind of happened and i don't think it's really been like You've got a situation where really the launching pad for stuff last year was the, you know, seven year long match with Roy Wilkins and Trevor Lee. That that like that was the thing that sort of launched it, right? And it was and it was really polarizing, but I think ultimately it worked for CWF. Because yes, you got some people who said, Fuck this, I'm not watching a match this long, or God, this fucking thing is too long, or whatever. But you also got some people who said this match is an epic, it's legend, blah blah blah. And then you had people like me who thought like Okay, this was like really, really well done, but I still feel like it's a little bit too long, and I still feel like there were some things I didn't love about it. But yeah, you know what I mean. So, but the point is, everybody—I shouldn't say everybody—but a huge portion of people were talking about it, and because of that, CWF sort of became a promotion that was known as being the Trevor Lee place. Is that fair? I mean, like, I think that's like it's it it kind of became known as the Trevor Lee place. And through Trevor Lee, some people found some other guys who they became drawn to on some level. Um, but I think at base, that's what it became sort of known for. And he had a bunch of other defenses throughout the year that people really liked. The Andrew Everett match, Brad Attitude, Battlecade, you know, good Eric Rowe match, all this other stuff. So coming into this year, CWF's had some momentum and the, and the Trevor Lee thing was on – you know, a lot of people's minds and, you know, what's interesting this year is I feel like they're being talked about probably about the same amount or close to the same amount. Although there's not the hub that wrestling with words was anymore. Um, uh, they're reviewing Bubsy, I think this week or something instead. There's but actually like, not a website, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. hasn't launched yet. Get, just get, sit tight. Um, um I, I honestly do want their thoughts on Bubsy. I may petition for that. But there's so so you without that hub, so it's kind of more disparate. So the talk is still there, and I feel like they've got some people that are really into them, and like there's more projects going around them and stuff. But the reason I'm setting all this up is what's I think interesting is I think slowly over the course of the last year or certainly the last since Battlecade, so we'll say the last nine months or so the promotion the talk around the promotion i think is actually increasingly less about trevor lee now you, you he did have that that match with chip day at the Canoodle cup i was there it was great in my opinion it's one of the best matches of the year um but i think that some people have gotten you know this is the year of the sprint as some people have coined it. And I think when you have a guy who's going out and wrestling matches that are never less than 20 minutes, lots of times over 30, that's 
sort of on the one hand, I appreciate it because it's the only place in wrestling that's doing that. And I like the fact that there is a place that has a dominant title reign where a guy is wrestling lengthy matches in an old school title way. I think that is good for pro wrestling. On the other hand, I think it goes kind of against the zeitgeist of wrestling in 2017. I think that the, I think it's it it runs sort of counter to what the cool kids are are are, are obsessing about. Um, and because of that, a lot of the stuff that's been talked about um, on Twitter, you know, on Zagunda Kaida, which reviews all the shows, some message boards, tends to be a lot of the other stuff. People will talk about, you know, Nick Richards brawls or the Sandwich Squad having fun matches, which I think they're a really underrated team. Or they'll, they'll uh, you know, you talk, people talk about Eric Royal and how he's a great heel or Roy Wilkins and how he's a great heel. Or, you know, or most notably, Kane Justice and how he's having such a great year as just a kid. And the Trevor matches still get talked about, but I don't like... Could you tell me right now, Sam, what, you know, could you name to me five Trevor, Trevor Lee title defenses from 2017? Um, yes, but I, I'm around people that are always talking about these things. Um, okay, so nice. do it. Name five. Uh, Eric Royal, Nick Richards, Eric Andrews, Alex Daniels, Chip Day. Okay. I mean, the Eric Royal match has not aired on TV yet. Although technically, they did have a match in Modern Vintage, but Michael Elgin, um, the is he wrestling Jason Kincaid, or has that not happened yet? Am I? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if so they're doing many. that because that that's sort of another interesting sub story, which I'll mention here in a second. But so my my point is, it's kind of an interesting year for Trevor Lee because I think. The people that are all in on Trevor Lee are probably never higher on him than they, than they are now. I think, they're, I think, you know, at the more title matches he has that are sort of in this vein, the more he connects. But what's interesting to me is, like, the Alex Daniels match, for example. I liked it. thought it was really good. But I was surprised to see that I wasn't as high on it as some people were. Um, you know, the Eric Anders match. Really liked it. I liked Eric Andrews in the match better than I liked Trevor Lee. You know, and this is – and that's not a criticism of Trevor Lee per se because I think in terms of big matches in their home promotion, there's still probably nobody who's having better ones consistently, honestly, if we're being totally objective about it. But, but I have to admit that – I am more I find myself more drawn to the Kane Justice stuff and you know the stuff in the tag division and Eric Andrews who I think has really emerged as a really compelling heel there. I find myself more drawn to all that stuff as time as go, go, goes on. And it's not so much that I'm less drawn to Trevor Lee as I was last year so much as it is I don't think it's any longer the show that you watch for the Trevor Lee great match. And I wonder how that affects how people think about him in the context of trying to make a list or 
ranking the best wrestlers of 2017. And the thing is, people might not even agree with me on that, right? Like that might just be my personal take. I'm not sure that that's the take that other people would have. As an outsider, I don't know if I agree with it. Um, Slash someone that only hears about CWF. Um, Disregarding the syndicated reviews, um, whenever I hear about CWF, it's traditionally about either Trevor Lee or, in this case, this year, Kane Justice. And I don't hear a lot of other names being thrown in the mix. Admittedly, some of the times I do hear it's, you know what, Nick Richards kind of disappointed me this year, which I'm not slight against him. I haven't watched much of it. Um, but I'm not seeing much outside of those two well, talking well, let me, points. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the Trevor Lee title reign has gotten to a point where – I don't want to say where it's hurting the shows because I don't I, I, I don't like framing the question in that way, um, in part because the matches are still so good and in part because I think the story of who's going to beat him is still sort of compelling. But do you think it's gotten to a point where there's not a whole lot of logical places left for them to go? Because I get that feeling like – from talking to people, I get the feeling that some people feel that way. And there are days where I wake up and I feel that way. And then there's other days where I don't. It's kind of a mixed bag. And I think the deal that they did with Chet Sterling and the Weaver Cup is interesting. Um, I thought it was the logical and the right thing to do. I think they've done a pretty good job of building Logan Easton LaRoe there. So if they wanted to put give him a Trevor title shot, they could. Um, you know, they've done some stuff. The Brad Attitude thing can always be revisited at any point. So there's certainly some things on the table. But I think the real issue is, do you – all right, let me frame this slightly differently. Does the fact that there doesn't appear to be anybody who can beat Trevor Lee in that promotion affect your view of him in the context of something like a We Don't Know Wrestling 100? And the reason – before you answer, let me just say – that I think it kind of does affect him for me. Because one of the things that I want out of an ace who's in that role is I want to believe, like, in that role, in the way CWF is run, the way it's developed, I want to believe that a guy, that like, the storylines are so critical to how they do TV, I don't think you can completely divorce them from just what happens bell to bell. And... If I can't fully invest in the concept of him being beaten for the title, it's difficult for me to look at him as a number one guy. As a top ten guy, sure. But as a number one guy, it's it's too hard. Like I just can't – I maybe that's just me. I, I, I mean I said this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. I actually think I would have Kane Justice above him this year um, if we were putting ballots together today. Um you know, and I could get into why in a minute if you want, but I do want to ask: Does it affect you? A, do you do you agree with the premise, which is that there's no sort of where to like that that he feels almost unbeatable at this stage, um, or there's there's no obvious path to him losing the belt? And B, if it, if that's true, does that affect how you view him for the purposes of this project? So agree. I was saying that like there's an obvious path out of here if, let's say, Trevor got signed tomorrow. Um, they had a month, to fi- a month or two to figure out how they're getting the belt off them. I don't know how you could do it. I don't know the logistics behind that. Um, as someone who pro- 
does not watch CWF but reads every single syndicator CWF review, so you know kind of, I know the direction these shows go. Uh, um, I don't know how that would work. I think sort of along the same path is I don't know what would happen to that show if you removed kind of the chapter points of the Trevor Lee title defenses. Because that's kind of, in my mind, how you divide periods of CWF. Um, Post-Roy Wilkins uh, is what's happening between the Trevor Lee title defenses. Um, I don't know anyone that's going to pick up that ball and run with it. I don't know if there is a next logical step as the person that can be dependent on, depended on, to deliver those types of quality matchups um, that sort of draw in people that aren't watching every single week. Okay, let me ask you this. Who do, if, uh, assuming, just thinking about the guys who are in CWF now, not some abstract universe, like, just take the guys who are CWF regulars or semi-regulars. And I would define a semi-regular as somebody who's wrestled at least four matches there this calendar year. Who, it, If you gun to your head and you have to choose, because this is a very likely scenario where someone would be holding you under threat of death if you don't think of it, <laughs> um, who, who would you pick? To dethrone him. You have to make a choice. Who do you pick? I have to make a choice? Yes. Um, you die. That's the option. <laughs> I would go with the person that makes no logistical sense and probably shouldn't be put in that position, but the only person that is getting the buzz, uh, Kane Justice, because he's the only person right now that I'm hearing any talk about um, outside of the realm of Trevor Lee, as far as CWF from Atlantic goes. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think that's kind of the consensus among the hard course, is that they want Kane to win. And I don't agree with him. I'm actually outside the bubble on that, even though I think Kane is probably my top guy for the year in CWF. Um, I think that they should, I honestly believe, and I know there are people that think this insane, I honestly think February, two years, Roy Wilkins should beat him in like three minutes. I, 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 I honestly think they need to reboot the whole thing. Um, and, uh, you know, they're not hurting. They do great business there. Um, their TV is excellent. Um, I don't want this to come off as a criticism of CWF because the reason I'm even having this conversation is because they're my favorite company on earth. They're the only thing that I, that I consider appointment viewing. They're the only thing that I go out of my way to watch every week, no matter how shitty my week is, no matter what. Like, I will watch CWF, period. So, uh, when but, you came to this conclusion of Roy Wilkins, did you, like, keep in mind that Roy Wilkins is not a good professional wrestler, or did you disregard that fact? Well, okay. <laughs> I, am not, I, am, I am not Dustin Spencer. I am not Dustin Spencer. So, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Roy Wilkins is the greatest wrestler on the planet. However, however... Go watch that Roy Wilkins versus Snooty Fox match from Chapel Hill and tell me he's not a good professional wrestler. There is no that, – that match is the most amazingly simplistic, old-school, awesome match in pro wrestling in 2017. Um, it, it, it's really excellent. And, like, to me, 
I get why people want Kane to win. I even sort of understand the arguments for it. I just don't really think that there's a good way to execute that argument that do, or execute that that doesn't come across as shoehorning it in and just trying to do it like to um, do something different. I mean, but Kane, man, Kane's had a great year. Like, are you watching the Kane Justice matches? Yes, yes. I mean, both of the Dom matches were really, really good. Dom's having a great year too, incidentally. But um, in fact, he's super here. but both of the dominant greeny matches were really good the first one was great probably a top 10 match of the year for me or, or at least in the discussion um and then just the random matches on tv against everybody like matches with people like dirty daddy or like slade porter that i love and I don't know. I just feel like he's he's really the spark of the show, and he wrestles different than anybody there. And it's just, um, I don't know. I, I I'm very 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 high on him in in, uh, in 2017. And the other interesting thing about CWF this year is that with Modern Vintage running more regularly and also putting out their own little version of a web TV show every week now, you've got a situation where a lot of the CWF regulars. People like Chet Sterling, Eric Royal, the Sandwich Squad. You're getting to see them more than you would in previous years because they, you know, and on top of being able to see them more, there you can also see all those guys in Nova Pro, by the way, if you watch those shows. And you're you're getting to see them outside of the CWS Sportatorium because I know for some people there's some sort of reluctance to say like to go all in on somebody if they've only really seen them in one place. Um, so it's kind of cool that Modern Vintage is doing that because we're getting the opportunity to see some of these guys outside of the, the Sportatorium. Because while some of the Modern Vintage shows are in the CWF Sportatorium, not all of them are. And I think it uh, it, it kind of adds a little bit of perspective and depth to the cases of people like Eric Royal or the Sandwich Squad or Chet Sterling or people like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of those people are interesting wrestlers who people should watch. Did we just crush that? Did we, did we get everyone? Um, and by everyone, I mean the people that we said we would touch on. Um, I think we I – The four for just, four. We added in a, in a big mic. I think we just about did it. This is kind of a weird year because I feel like there's probably more people that I think are viable number one contenders than any other year. Like there's probably 15 or 20 names that if somebody said – or maybe not that many, but like 10 or 12 or somebody said, this is my number one, I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But then I feel like the next level down is not as – I don't want to say it's not as good, but it's not as clear cut as other years. Um, it's a very interesting uh, year to say the least. So. I'm liking it. Um Inside the ring, outside the ring. It's been a it's been a real wacky one. Um, huge, think, huge year for uh, for flow sports. <laughs> I think this is gonna, if at the end of the day, I think accessible content is going to be something that is always going to put someone ahead of uh, at the pack or more appointment viewing. I guess um, some of that I'm going to go out of my way to seek because hey, it's easy for me. Uh, that's kind of why David starts my number one currently. Um, but why I'm able to dig guys like James Drake, 
um, who we didn't talk about because he's not really a number one guy, but I think he's a solid, for me, top 25 guy. Um, oh, he's having a great year. Yeah, he's having a great year. Watch that Ethan Case match that I talked about. Uh, there's an Ethan Case match from some South Carolina indie from, that's on YouTube, and it's worked completely differently than than you would think. It's like really smart. Have you seen the uh, Toby Farley match? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like that. The, uh, I like that a lot. Like, Speaking of which, of guys, everybody should watch. Everybody should watch every uh, Nightmare Kyle Matthews defense of the Landmark Heritage title that's on Anarchy. Because they're all good. The AC Mack match is really good. The Gladiator Jeremiah match is really good. The Anthony Henry match is really good. They're all good. He's having a really good year. Um, just based on the Anarchy stuff. And Anarchy is a fun promotion. Um, where I think, I just want to point a tag team out. Uh of Strickland and Danny only. Um, yeah, they be, They may be my favorite tag team at the moment because um, they just have some some wonderful brawls um, down there in Anarchy. Well, uh, I got nothing else. Is there anything else you want to leave us with, Dylan? Um, let's see. Uh, everybody should come to Phoenix City Trios on November the 18th in Chattanooga, Tennessee at Hickson High School. Tickets $15 for floor seats. General admission $10. Come see the Carnies. Team Glory Pro, which is Kurt Stallion, Myron Reed, and Gary J. Uh, the Gymnasty Boys, the good old boys in tour. The Viking War Party reuniting one year to the day after they broke up. Uh, Joey, Joey Lynch, Matt Lynch, and Kyle Matthews, effectively a team anarchy wrestling of sorts as we talk to them. Everybody should come to that show. That's one thing I'd like to say. I'm going to have to have you back on to actually go through that show in a little bit more depth. Um, oh, cool. Because I'm real, I'm real pumped about it. Um, Sam, you're coming. You bought yourself an early wedding gift, and you're coming right. to Trios. Yes, that is, that is what we're doing. Um, very excited about it. Um, oh, also, I do want to publicly announce that New York Mike is officiating, is officiating Sam's wedding. We've already established that. I, th- I thought I was having multiple people officiate my wedding. Um, well, I, we'll I've, see. I've heard Tanner's ordained, so uh, we'll see. We yeah, what, it's, it's going to happen. And uh, make sure um, uh, make sure you ask for the spreadsheets with the hard, hard data before you see what rate he wants to charge. <laughs> uh, but, on the number of on the number of ceremonies he's performed. <laughs> New York Mike's uh, he's a worker, so uh, I'm I'm expecting inflated numbers. Um, double counting, uh, each, each wedding's two people. So that's, that's two, uh, two weddings. Um, wait a minute. Have you seen Kyle Matthews versus tank yet? No, that sounds like something Uh, I should watch. It's on YouTube. You need to watch it. Okay. That just occurred. It's like seven minutes long. That sounds perfect. While you're taking a dump. (laughs) It's, it's, (laughs) it's it's like super good. It's sprint of the, it's like a who to the year level contender. uh, We'll put it on the work, the doc. Um, okay. Uh, do you have anything else that you need to plug? Um, this is the first. This is the first yeah, episode sure. of feed. So you know who knows who's listening. Sure, everybody subscribe to uh, Powerbomb.tv. It's a legitimately great service. Um, I admit that I'm shilling, but I'm shilling from a position as somebody who really, really likes the shows. There's a ton of good shows on there, including the entire Scenic City Invitational back catalog. Um, 2015, 2016, this year's Scenic City Rumble, and the tournament itself. Um, all of that's on there, and I think Sam. Can, I think I think Sam would agree with me in saying that all of those shows are at minimum good. There's none none, none of those shows are bad. So, um, the uh, Anarchy is also on there. You can check out Anarchy there. So there's a bunch of good wrestling there. Um, 
I also uh, would tell people to follow SCI on Twitter. That's at, at SCI Tournament. You can follow me on Twitter at Dylan Waco. That's D Y L A N W A C O. Um, and uh, check out Southern Underground Pro uh, at uh, under at uh, SUP underscore Graps. They've got a big show coming up, uh, Headwalk Among Us, on October 29th, which we just announced this week, a rematch from night two of the SCI's pre-show of Dominic Greeny versus Corey Hollis, which I think has real hoop potential. So um, other fun stuff will be on that show as well. Everybody should check that out. If you live in the Nashville area, come to it because it's very, very fun. I think atmospherically those are some of the funnest wrestling shows you could possibly go to. Love the wrestling. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Concrete1992. Um, send wedding gifts early, folks. Send in engagement gifts. Um, since I'm going to trios, please, you know, if you see me there, just feel free to order me a slice of cake and just be like, hey, that's from me, like people do in the bars with drinks. Um, I'll take just some baklava cheesecake. Um, otherwise subscribe to the podcast. Now that we're kind of in an individual feed, give it, leave a review. That'd be a big help. Uh, as we're trying to kind of get this off the ground, uh, I'm going to be putting up sort of older episodes we've done, including the always Barry Tanners from 2015, 2016. Um, as we amp up for 2017, which is already going to be a complete fucking disaster. Uh, <laughs> I'm already mad about the things that are going to happen on that show, uh, and they haven't happened yet. So I, I literally went through in one night, and I think nominated about 150 things. And I could feel my blood pressure rising as I knew the cases that were going to be made for certain individuals that were going to be used against my candidates um, for a third year in a row. So I'm not going to be sticking behind Sammy Callahan this year. So um, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one. Well, all right. Thank you for being on. Thank you for listening. Good night.